Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. It feels good to be back behind the microphone. We got a whole bunch of hunts over the last couple weeks we've been doing. We've been super busy, so we kind of got ahead on episodes. Uh, and this is like the first time we've recorded in maybe 2024, yep. is it? Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, and we're doing this on a Sunday night before it drops because, you know, back to the good old days, man, turning and burning episodes. Anyways, Jacob, how are you doing? Doing, well, doing okay. 
Doing all right. Doing okay. No. Oh wow. Okay. Jeez yeah. Louise. Doing okay. Could have been better. Could have been tied up with the giant, but. Oh yeah, we got some stuff to talk about, man. We got some stuff to talk about. One thing I'm going to bring up: uh, February 24th, we got the annual, second annual, uh, Weaver Meat Processing Southern Outdoorsman Meetup. Hunters Meetup. M E A T up. Weaver Meat Processing. Uh, they're providing all the food for it. Uh, it's at their location up there in Hartsell, Alabama. There's going to be a big buck contest, and similar to last year, obviously we're going to be there. Uh, I think we're going to have some speakers, yeah, possibly. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of podcast guests there, po- past podcast guests. It's going to be last aw- year. Michael Perry showed up with a state record. Uh, another guy showed up with a 181 that he killed. Yeah, you know, in the public, like it was a, it was a good time. So, man. but yeah, so the Hunters Meetup. This is going to be an awesome event, uh, second annual event, free. For everybody. So just come out. You don't have to worry about buying tickets or anything like that. It's going to be super fun. Food's going to be provided all day long. Well, there will be, be, well, if I can talk, there will be drinks there as well. Non alcoholic drinks, but there'll be drinks there as well. Uh, There also will be Buckmasters there. Uh, Steve Lucas and a couple of guys from Buckmasters will be scoring deer, both for the Weaver Meat Big Buck Contest, which they're going to have all the winners announce at this event with the uh, official scoring of those deer. But also, if you have a deer you'd like to get scored, you can actually bring it on down uh, to the event, and Steve Lucas and Buckmasters will give you a score for it. So it's going to be a really fun event. It was awesome last year. had a really good turnout, but we did it during deer season last year. It was in January during last year so this year february 24th after season again it's gonna be a great time come and hang out and uh, come meet us we'll have a bunch of southern outdoors and merch and just uh have a really good time so don't miss it yeah definitely uh and then the other thing too we got the uh, old school camo hats back in stock so those are back on the website now they've sold out a couple times really quickly we bought a, a ton of them this time so <laughs> we'll see if they sell out really quickly again they might hopefully they do uh we'd appreciate it if they did uh, but anyway, so those are on the site. You can go check those out. And today, we're doing a little bit different. You know, this is a Monday episode, but uh, we decided that we're going to go ahead and actually tackle a couple more Q&As today because right now we have quite a few in the hopper, and some of these are are like pretty timely uh, questions, mm-hmm. so meaning it would be better if we could answer them during deer season. And right now, we've got questions out to probably May. Yeah. So, so we're going to start cycling through and doing more of these. That being said, keep writing them in. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. We, we need you guys to write these in. We really enjoy it. Uh, and we're going to start doing a thing where we're going to have guests on who uh, are relevant to the topic. So, you know, we're going to get guests on who we've had on in the past, and they're going to basically start doing Q&A episodes with us. Uh, we think that's going to be really fun. A lot of good information is going to come out of it. It's going to be super engaging. So keep writing in those. And, hey, if you even have a specific guest who you have in mind who would be good for a question, you can just say, hey, I would love for so-and-so to answer this question. So do that. And also uh, write in your turkey questions. Go ahead and start writing those in because right now we have exactly zero Turkey questions in the hopper, mm-hmm. so I would I would love to get some turkey questions in. A- absolutely, um, especially, uh, especially right now going into turkey season. So when we're we're doing interviews, we have those questions on hand. Yep, absolutely. You know? So, anyways, uh, yeah. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna do some uh, some of those. And also, last thing before we kind of get into it, I got a shout out, man. I was uh, I was hunting a, a certain WMA today. I went down there with my dog Boone. Uh, me and Tiffany went down there. We took Piper. Uh, Piper's our nine-month-old baby, and uh, it, it it works out good. We got this baby carrier that we can put her in, and she literally just sits on Tiffany's chest, facing outward, and she's like kind of hanging there like this. But man, she loves it. We got these big earmuffs, and it's really easy to take her on these hunts with the dog because you know she's laughing and she can be loud, and you know it it's like a low-pressure hunt, and also it's a good uh, scouting tool. 
So we went down to this certain WMA, and we were going to go hunt uh, quail and woodcock down mm-hmm. there. And I got this spot picked out on the map. And I'm like, okay, this is it. Real swampy-looking bottom. Got some uh, some pines up top that all kind of drop down into this bottom. And for woodcock, what I'm looking for is that I'm looking for, like, soft dirt uh, with with high stem count, um, like, kind of sapling-type thickets. So not necessarily like a briar thicket, more like a sapling thicket. And this particular area has that. And, and the soft dirt comes in with a swampy bottom. So it looks really good for, for woodcock. But also it looks good for deer because it's super thick. There's like a thermal hub. There's a bunch of ridge points coming down. So we, uh, we get down there. We go to church this morning. Get out, eat lunch, get ready. Head down there, get, get there at like 1 o'clock. And we come rolling up on that spot. And there's a truck there. And, and the guy's still at his truck. And, and we roll up, and I'm like, dadgummit, we got beat here. And we roll through there, and, you know, he's like, get, I think he's getting something out of the bed of his truck. And we're, we're rolling past him, and, you know, I wave and everything. And as he's getting something out of the bed of his truck, as we roll by, like, he turns towards us, and I see a Southern Outdoorsman hat. And I'm like, I hit the brakes, and Tiffany's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he's wearing a Southern Outdoorsman hat. <laughs> and she was like, no way. And we back up. And a shout out to Tristan, man. Tristan Guffey uh, ran into him down there, had an awesome conversation with him. Tristan, I want you to know you made my day, man. You really did. That was, that was a fantastic conversation. And I was like, you hunting that side of the road? And, you know, I pointed to the side I was not wanting to hunt. He's like, no, I'm actually, I'm going over there. I was like, dang, you know. But it was a really good looking area for deer. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad he got to go hunt that. So hopefully he did good. Tristan, if you're listening to this, I'm curious about how that hunt went. Because my, my cell camera's lit up. Uh, right at dark today and mm. on several different properties around the state but he was he was going into a really good looking area uh so anyways I, I just thought i'd give him a shout out that was that was a really cool experience getting to talk to Speak him about running into listeners so i had a listener message us and he was asking he said hey are you guys hunting xyz management area this weekend and i, I messaged him back i'm like no we're not he's like well there's so these boys in camp killed a couple bucks and he's like i swear one of them's jacob like looks just like Jacob, <laughs> and I'm like, and I message back. I'm like, it's funny. Like I've heard people say that in the past. You know, seems like a guy that looks like me. And uh, anyways, message the guy back, and I'm telling you, not 20 minutes later, another listener and follower of the show and a friend of the show, Steve, he messages me, like personally messages me. He's like, hey dude, are y'all on XYZ uh, management area? And I'm like, no. But I'm like, did you see somebody that looks like me? And he's like, actually, yes. He's like, these two boys, three boys come running down, you know, rolling down this uh, trail he was down, uh, like a gated trail with some with some bicycles in a game cart. He said, the guy with the game cart looked just like you. And he's met me before. So I'm like, this dude must look very We got to figure out who this guy is. So public service announcement, there is a Jacob lookalike out and about on public <laughs> land in Alabama, so be aware, okay? <laughs> you know, don't be walking up to him. Hey, Jake, Proceed how you doing? with caution. Oh, yeah. Watch his name be Jacob, too. Oh, that'd be, that'd be hilarious. So that'd if be. anybody knows a, I don't know, you know, a fella, and uh, I guess him and some boys, him and some buddies killed a buck this past weekend, um, you know, on some public land in Alabama that looks a lot like me, just tell them that, uh, you know, some people have noticed. Some so, people have noticed. Yeah. So public, public service announcement. There's a look like Jake out in, out in the woods. Yeah. We uh, we just got back from our SOA hunt, which we've had people talking about. Uh, ran into some listeners on that SOA hunt. A ton hunt. of listeners. Dude, everyone that came in the Skinner's Jet was like, man. And so we, we have a YouTube video up from this yeah. past fall where we, we doubled up on Bucks. And they they had all seen that YouTube video. And of course, that's the one where I like missed that giant buck. Yeah. And everyone was like, man, I was hurting for you. And, you know, I was like, oh, 
It, it was fun though, man. It was a really good time. Uh, we're gonna talk about that one on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, I think this one, uh, real quick. Let's let's talk about the the end of your river bottom hunt, and uh, and then we're gonna get into our Q and A's. End of the oh, uh, like with the, with Chris and everybody. Yeah. So uh, one thing I didn't mention on that hunt. Um, so we, so we did this big hunt camp with Jacob Emery, Chris Leppert, uh, Shane Parker was there, Michael Pike was there, uh, Talon Neal, uh, Greg Mara. Mayhair. Mayhair. Sorry, Greg. That's your last name up again. Um, and uh, who else? Oh, Seth Johnson. And am I missing anybody? Miles Pete. Miles Pete. Yep. Anyways, but we all, we all had this big river bomb hunt. Uh, ended up, none of us killed any deer. Some of the guys had seen some shooters. I didn't see any, we didn't, I didn't personally see a shooter while we were hunting, but called in, you know, a few bucks running in. And it was kind of cool because we were hunting some spots in like really thick, swampy areas. And um, I'm telling you, dude, in that kind of habitat, I, I feel so confident calling, like grunting. Yeah. Like in the last two, three hunts I've had, like these little trips, I've called in probably like six or seven bucks. Unfortunately, none of them being shooters, but it's like, dude, grunting, it is like, to me, it's so effective, man. It's so effective. Like, I, I just love it at this time of the year where it's like getting into the rut, pre rut, you know, throughout that first section of the rut. It's like, dude, it's so fun. Um, but on the way in, we didn't talk about this last time. So on the, on the way in, me and Seth were walking back into a, a pretty swampy area, area that we've had some history with. And on the way in, in the dark, I find this shed right here. So pretty good shed. Good it's one. A, it's all chewed up. A couple years, a couple years old, but he's got some really good mass on him. Good beam length. And uh, I was like, man, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, you know, to go find a shed in the dark. And this is an area we've, well, I haven't found any sheds there. You found. I found five. five and a deadhead. Yeah, five sheds back And in they're there. all like the same size. They're all freaking big. Yeah, they're all, they're all really good deer. So I'm like, that's kind of cool. Me and Seth keep walking back. And we get back to like close to where we're going to go. And I find this bed. It was uh, a frosty morning. Frost is all over the leaves and everything. And uh, find, we found this little bed, you know, not a buck, not, not like a buck used. It might have been a coyote, might have been a, a doe fawn, just a small bed. I just kind of mentioned it to uh, to Seth. I'm like, man, you know, something was just bedded here. It might have been a deer, it might have been a coyote, who knows. But you can see with the frost around it, that bed's like all wet where the, the animal oh, had been yeah. laid there and yeah. kind of melted the frost off. And uh, I, I didn't realize, but I kind of go to walking and I see Seth get a little distracted and he kind of like falls back a little bit. Well, we go up to this uh, spot where we're going to cross, you know, some water uh, to get to this other part of the public. And uh, I turn around. And I'm like, hey, man. He's like, he's like, hey, let me show you what I found. And he pulls out from behind his bag an another really good shed. I don't have it here because he took it with him, but it's a, a really nice four-point side with a split G2. Um, just another great shed. I'm like, Dude, we're calling that spot the Shed Factory. Shed Factory, absolutely. And uh, he was like, man. He's like, dude. I'm like, where was it? He's like, He's like, dude, I looked up with my headlamp, and not 15 yards away from that little bed was but that shed. It, it which, wasn't a match set, though. No, it was just a shed, just a left side. And um, and that one wasn't chewed, was it? No, it was from last year. Yeah. It, it was like a, a really good looking shed. Um, it might he might have had it might have been chewed just a touch, but you could it was it was a <coughs> shed from last season. I'm pretty yeah. confident. So, anyways, we go through a hunt, calling this three two and a half three year old buck, not a shoot, not a shooter, let him walk, and we go hunt and you know hunt back in some other areas. Ended up not seeing much of anything. Well, when we're walking out, I'm falling on Onyx. I was telling some of the guys in camp, anytime I hunt some of these spots like this where it's not just a quick walk in and out, I always put my tracker on. Even if I'm not, fam even if I am familiar with the area, I just want to put my track on and see, like, especially if you get the cross water or anything like that, where you're marking exactly where the crossings are at. Yep. So when we walk out, I'm like, hey, we're going to stay on the same track when we go back out and just so we don't get caught, you know, by some water and we can't cross because we had knee boots on, but we quickly realized knee boots aren't 
as effective back in here as I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. You really need like hip waders. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I went over my boot, I think three times, uh, that day. Um, <laughs> so fun. yeah, d- definitely. But on the way back 30 yards away from where I found this shed, I found the match side, the match set. Oh, blaze orange hat about to go falling off the table. So I'll find his match side. Um, so it, it, it is, uh, are you sure that's from the same year? I think so. This one was more under the leaves. I think. This one was this one was like buried, or this one wasn't. Let me see them suckers. Hmm. This one was exposed. Yep. This one wasn't. I, dude, I don't know, man. I don't think these are from the same year. Maybe. I Maybe. I, I don't think they are because look, like this one's kind of all like chalky mm-hmm. looking, and this one's still pretty. I mean, pretty fresh looking. Uh. Yeah, dude, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I don't know. But that shed, the other side. But they look so similar. They even have the, uh, the same characteristics. The can- same same characteristics. I think this could be one from like two years ago or three years ago. This could be one from one or two years. Like maybe more fresh. Because uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's the same deer. Because like uh, it, this probably isn't going to show up that great on these cameras for YouTube. But like, there's there's like he's got a little hole in the rack right here and a little bump where almost like where he was trying to grow a drop time on the older shed, and then he has the pretty much the exact same thing over here on this other shed, which is just really interesting and unique. Like, I don't see something like that very often. Again, it's probably not showing up really great on the camera because it's kind of small, but uh, that that's very interesting. I don't see that kind of characteristic very often, so it, it probably is the same deer. Yeah, but it's, again, a left and right side. So with that other shed, okay, so say if that was from a different year, they were laying 30 yards apart. So I found it within 30 yards of where I would found the original shed Yeah. Um, in that same spot. So we found three sheds in the dark. And typically, I don't find any sheds in Alabama. Like, I struggle to find sheds. And So that same area back there, I've done the same thing, finding several sheds all in the same area mm-hmm. that all look very, very similar from multiple years. And I... I actually, keep going because I'm about to go on a tangent that that we're probably about to get on with this subject. Well, no, it's it's just one of those interesting factors that like, you know, that <clears> makes <throat> seven, eight sheds that's been found in that area over yeah. the last couple of years yeah. in like a very, I'm talking like a very small area, like maybe twenty acres, yeah, to 10, 20 acres, yeah. Um, and again, in Alabama, typically I don't find a lot of sheds. Like I kind of look for them, but like. It's like in that area, like you don't even have to be looking for them. You're just going to walk up on a shed. Like I was telling Seth while we were in there, I'm like, dude, if we walk some of these other little spots right here, we'll probably go find three or four more sheds. Um, and it's like for whatever reason, like late season, you know, at, maybe even after deer season when they're dropping antlers, these bucks just like hone in on this like little piece of public. Yeah, no, they definitely do. Uh, yeah, that kind of goes into what y'all were talking about when you were up there, which this particular spot, this is kind of like, I consider that spot like my baby, dude, like. I've been so interested in that spot for so long and me and you have hunted it several times. Mm-hmm. We've gone in there and uh, scouted it pretty extensively, hunted it a little bit, but just the the timing that this hunt falls every year is like kind of an awkward timing. Like it's kind of hard to go up there and hunt this place when it's good mm-hmm. because we got so many other things going on. So it's always been a place where, you know, we get like, I don't know, two or three hunts at a time and and then maybe the next year you don't hunt it and then the year after that you hunt it a couple times yeah. and you know it's just like very on and off it's a good area but again just logistically it's not like the easiest for us to get to mm-hmm. so we haven't hunted it a ton and uh so this hunt came up and first of all poor planning on our part because everybody was there at like 
different times than than we thought. So we were gonna rent like a big bunkhouse, mm-hmm. and we were gonna. It, I mean, it had like a ton of beds in it. Everyone was gonna stay there, and uh, you were telling me to rent it from like the thirtieth to like the seventh, mm-hmm. and everybody left on the third or the fourth. I'm like, well, dang, bro, okay. So I wasn't able to. By the time I could get off work and go up there. Uh, I think it was like the night y'all were recording the podcast. Mm-hmm. By the time I could leave, because I was talking to Chris Leppert, uh, everybody was leaving like the day I would come up. So I was like, man, I'm just not going to come up because I really just wanted to go up for the camp atmosphere. I, like I wanted to hunt that spot, don't get me wrong, but I've got so much other stuff closer to the house that I'm also interested in hunting where I was just like, man, you know, it, like if everyone's pulling out, then I'm just going to go ahead and stay here. But I was talking to Chris the whole time. You know, Chris came down from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when the northern folks come down here to the south, they tend to struggle a little bit, you know? So I'm Chris uh, Chris sends a, a, a screenshot in the group text of where he's at. Because he's not in the same place that I like, like the same general area I like to hunt. And he sends a, a screenshot of where he's at in the group text. And I just, I see the screenshot and I immediately call him. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, man, like, what's it looking like in there he explains it i'm like you're probably seeing a lot of rubs right he's like oh yeah i'm like you probably found a couple good scrapes right he's like yeah there's a couple good ones i'm like leave (laughs) you're not in a good spot man because i i've hunted that spot uh my buddy kyle's hunted that spot another guy we know hunted that spot uh it's just not the the deer are it's it's your classic uh area where your your deer are coming in there and laying down sign all night and but you're hunting there and maybe you catch one cruising through there there's there's a chance you know that could happen but you're not like on the x where you're gonna have a lot of action and so but it's very deceptive because the sign's there yeah the sign is really impressive but i i was telling him i'm like man i I would i would get out of that spot which go ahead i was gonna say that goes into maybe a like it's not necessarily a Q and A question but like listeners who are like curious or audience members that are curious like even though the sign's really good what would tell you about like not hunting that spot? Because again, to the guy that rolls in, cause I met another guy rolled into camp, not in our group, but I helped him get his camp set up and everything. And he was going to go to that exact same spot. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm no. like, I'm like, dude, you can do it. He's like, man, I hunt, I hunted here before. And he's like, man, I found some great sign in there. I think there's a really good deer. I'm like, there probably is a really there good There probably deer. is, but he might be coming through at two o'clock in the morning. Man, yeah. You ain't going to see him. And I texted him, he didn't have any luck. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a tough area, man. And it's a weird spot because it's the the, the adjoining property is a trophy-managed club. Mm-hmm. So there is for sure a big deer in there. The only problem is that whole hillside is, like, wide open. I mean, it, it for our standards, you know. Like, you know, I, I didn't get to spend a lot of, like, I didn't get to spend time in camp with Chris, but... But my experience, if you're hunting with guys who are used to hunting in like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, places like that, what they define as thick cover is very open down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like you remember when we did our scouting workshop, we had uh, Drake come down, and he and he's from up north, and we were walking through these really open hardwoods, and there was just a little, I mean, like a a smattering of saplings down in this in this bottom. What, see right through him. He's like, yeah, where I'm from, like we consider that thick cover. I'm like, that's is wide open around here, and so that that area is kind of like that. Like it's just, again, you you could absolutely catch one cruising through there like midday or something mm-hmm. potentially, but but you're not in a uh, like what I would consider a high odd spot. So, anyways, I tell Chris that, and I I told Chris about the shed factory. Okay, mm-hmm. that area. 
And Chris had already been looking at it on the map. You know, he thinks like we do. And Chris has been looking at it. And I, I think Chris, I, I'm pretty sure Chris is probably going to listen to this. I think that he was like uh, trying to not go hunt it because he knew I wanted to come hunt it later in the week. But I'm like, dude, go. I don't care. Go in there and hunt it. Because even if he went in there day one and shot a buck, I would still feel very confident coming in there right behind him and hunting because there's more bucks in there. And, uh, and so he, I don't know, he's kind of hesitant to go hunt that spot. I'm like, go hunt the spot. Like it's a really good spot. And, uh, and he didn't, he never ended up going and hunting it. And then I said the same thing to you and we, we ended up talking because you were kind of unsure of what you wanted to do at that point. And I was like, go hunt the shed factory. We weren't calling it that at that point, but I'm like, please go hunt it. Somebody go hunt it. Cause now it's, I've come to the conclusion that I'm not going to make it up there. So I'm like, okay, somebody please just go hunt it so I know whether or not it was worth the crap, you know? I know whether or not it was good. So next year, or whenever I get to make it back up there, uh, I potentially know what's going on in there. So kind of kind of using you guys as a little bit of a scouting tool, not going to lie. But anyways, so you ended up going in there finally. Yeah, on, yeah. Was that the last day? Uh, second to last. And uh, again, we just saw that two and a half, three and a half year old bug. I'm not sure. He was either like a really big bodied two year old or like a really dinky antlered three year old. Okay. Um, and he came by like at 12 yards. I, I grunted him. He came across the water. He was like on another little, um, another little bit of land. He actually bedded down over there, uh, at like eight, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. And we lost him in this little thicket. And then like n- almost noon, we we're talking about getting down and moving. And like, as I'm packing my stuff up, I look back behind me. I'm like, Oh, we got a buck. There's a buck moving. There's a buck moving. Uh, the bottom, so I'm like, man, it's the same deer. I'm like, I'm just going to grunt at him. See what he does. And I did my little tinny grunt sequence. And, dude, I'm telling you, like, on a dime, he's walking. And without even stopping, he cuts left and comes right towards us, comes across the water, jumps some logs, and, I mean, comes to the base of Seth's tree. Hunting like a marsh area. Yeah. yeah. And he comes to, like, the base of Seth's tree. And he comes around me at, like, 12 yards. I'm, like, filming on my phone, Seth's filming with the camera. And uh, he, like, loops around and... and <laughs> And uh, anyways, I just I, I I knew when I'd seen him like he's not a shooter, but um, he he loops around and kind of gets downwind, catches our wind, and kind of goes back out through that that swampy stuff. And uh, I, I, we got down after another ten fifteen minutes. So I'm like, hey, we're gonna reposition a different spot and uh, and go scout around a little bit more. And me and Seth are talking. He's like, he's like, man, he's like, I'm just gonna tell you right now. He's like, if we were in Texas, that that deer right there, he's like, he would have been legal. He was 15 inch inside spread. You know, he he, he would have been a legal buck. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, should have shot. Him. I'm like, we didn't. If I if I had if I had zero tags filled, probably would have shot him. But I'm like, we got one tag left, and I'm gonna try to hold out on a good one. But uh, but no, it was fun, dude. It was fun going back in there. It's 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 a it's a hellhole. I'll tell you that. So um, <laughs> it's it's really hard to get in there, but it's an interesting area. And I'll, this is what I wanted to bring up earlier: is the whole reason that I think we find all those sheds back there, and and this is actually something I've been talking to several different folks about here lately in in Alabama and in parts of I guess Mississippi as well that have these later ruts and Louisiana. Uh, that have these really late January ruts. And it's kind of weird because you're hunting from a habitat standpoint. This is about to be confusing what I'm saying, but from a habitat standpoint, you're hunting late season. You know, uh, it's not, you know, quote, like when most people say it's quote unquote late season, they're talking about post rut. Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking about post season or, uh, or late season, it is uh, from a habitat standpoint. All the leaves Ve- are down. Vegetation standpoint. Vegetation, all the leaves are down. Uh, most of the green stuff is dead. Most of the acorns are gone. 
Uh, so you're hunting like a late season setting from a habitat standpoint. And because of that, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse because people who have these January ruts, um, it, it's, it's kind of a blessing because the deer end up getting really concentrated in certain areas, which on our SOA yeah. hunt is a good example of how it can be a blessing, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about on Thursday. But it can be a curse because it is like absolute feast or famine. You yeah. are either on them or you are not. And that's exactly how that hunt was. It's like, yeah. you know, Greg was absolutely on the X every single day about, I know he said he, he climbed a couple different trees, but he about killed one tree climbing that <laughs> sucker, dude. But he was on the X of where these bucks were coming through. And it's like me and Seth, for the most part, weren't. Like we, we saw a bunch of does, but just weren't seeing a bunch of rack deer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then other guys like just struggle just to find deer in general. So, um, yeah. but yeah, they, there is something I think too. Cause when you first said that, I was very confused on what you mean, but like it's just that the vegetation setting, not really ha- I mean, habitat, but vegetation setting is very much like late season. Like everything's died back. Cause I think, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel very confident. Like in that November time frame when you still have some leaves on the trees, at least oh, down here. Yes. But like it's leaves are turning. They're falling a little bit, but they're still like this like brushy leaf cover. Mm-hmm. It's like the deer move so well it, in it's that. It's visual obstruction. Yeah. And the deer, but the deer move so well in that versus you fast forward another month, month and a half, and there's none of that left. It's just yeah. like it goes from like thick cover to wide open to thick cover again. And I think that at that point is when you're, re- and that's when I've struggled specifically on a couple different pieces of public, which is when you start getting in January and it's like that, where like you have a, a hardwood SMZ next to pine thickets and the hardwood SMZ during like October, November had like that brushy, uh, uh, leafed out kind of cover in it yep. and the deer would kind of shoot across it or work down it a little bit. Yep. Now when it's wide open, it's like they're just, they might come to the edge of it and start paralleling it but they're not necessarily cutting us right across it. And I actually saw a guy yeah. posting one of the public land groups in Alabama, hunting a piece of public. And, um, he's like, man, you know, it's, it's kind of like where he was at. It's like post rut. He's like, man, I ain't feel the tag yet, but you know, I'm still going, going after it. And he's hunting. I'm talking about a wide open SMZ, like a huge SMZ wide open hardwood bottom. And I'm like, dude, you're probably not going to find a deer there. Like you probably won't yeah. have many does come through that stuff. Yeah. Um, especially after all the hunting pressure. Yeah, but that yeah, I mean exactly. And going back to the MSU deer study that we covered, man, I can't remember the episode number, but uh, it must have been probably four weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago now. Um, we went over a, a, a Mississippi State University paper on buck movement, and when in the section where they were talking about buck bedding, a big part of that formula was visual obstruction. So they take a big, it looks like a big giant checkerboard that they bring out black and white checkerboard and they literally measure the uh the visual obstruction in front of that board. What what Ep- episode number? It's episode uh, 4 or 540. How when and why bucks navigate the landscape MSU buck movement GPS study. So they're talking about buck bedding in that and again they're using that obstruction board where they're they're actually measuring the uh the actual visual obstruction there and these deer are selecting for cover where they have better visual obstruction. And I, I think the point that we're trying to make here is like early season up until leaf drop happens, you know, there's pretty good visual obstruction all over the place. Like early season, 
you know, even your your more open hardwoods are still going to have some element of cover going through or, them. Or pines, same or thing. Or pines, because uh, you're not going to be able to see, you know, 250 yards mm-hmm. through there. Uh, there's going to be saplings. There's going to be just stuff growing that obstructs that. And it's lower pressure, so they're going to feel more comfortable laying out in what we would consider, you know, quote-unquote, the wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, in that situation, maybe you can see 50 yards. Um, now, this time of year, where all of a sudden in those same hardwoods, you can see 200 yards because now everything has fallen. And they've they've had months of hunting pressure, including in Alabama at this point. They've had, what, two months, two and a half months of gun pressure mm-hmm. at this point? Uh, or a uh, month and a half, I guess, of gun pressure. Um, now, I feel like they get so sucked back into that cover, into that really, really thick, aggressive nasty briar hellhole thicket cover that it gets really hard to get in an area where you can actually see them because they're still moving in that during the day but in the really good patches of cover they've got everything they need in there you know they've got browse in it they're probably better in close proximity to water and a lot of those bucks you know there's a lot of there's a high doe density in a lot of areas in alabama so that's why this january hunt i feel like january rut is actually really difficult in a lot of areas, more so than a November rut in, in comparable areas uh, because of that reason, because they're they're so sucked into that cover that it's a lot harder to actually get a shot at these deer because they're not, they don't feel as comfortable walking through that wide open bottom as they did back in November when we still had leaf cover. But well, what are your thoughts on that? Tune in for Thursday to hear about <laughs> me and my hiccups with a couple bucks in this exact same situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I feel like, you know, again, I wasn't on this hunt, but you guys explained everything to me. I listened to the episode that you guys did. I guess it was probably last week, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I heard y'all's episode from last week um, about the struggles you were having, and it sounds like that was the situation. Like, these deer were concentrated in one area, and that's why I think the shed factory is so good because I think those bucks are in there right now. And that's why I think it's such a good area. And, you know, you guys saw that younger deer in there that one morning. But, you know, I think that if you potentially put three or four days into that area, you could have an encounter with a really, really, really good buck. Uh, like the kind of bucks that are leaving these sheds laying around. And the reason being is because all the the leaves have fallen off. You know, the habitat has completely changed. But this area back in here is still high stem count. It's got a lot of browse. And I think the deer are going to, I think they're already gravitating to it. And this is on public. There's a lot of private around it. And I think they're going out onto the private at night. Mm-hmm. You can zoom in on the map and you can see everyone's corn feeders on the private land. Yeah. So I think they're bedding on the public and they're going off onto the private. And that's why it's so good. I think, I think that right now they get concentrated in there and they're probably staying in there into the spring. And that's why all these sheds are in that specific area. Yep. So anyways, I'm, I'm really excited to get to hunt it at some point. Probably maybe next year. Who knows? Uh, Maybe we can make it happen with the timing. But again, it's just in a weird area. You know, timing's kind of hard. We got so much going on that time of year. But anyways, uh, do you have anything else on on that hunt? Kind of how it ended? Any any lessons learned? I know that when when I talked to you after the hunt, you were like you didn't want to see a river bottom again. Yeah, you you were you were pretty burned out on river bottoms. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm tapping out of the river bottoms. It's uh, whew, man, (sighs) they've been good to me this year. Yeah, but I go back to like when we were in Arkansas mm-hmm. and like the cover compared to there compared to now. Yeah, a lot more cover that early early part of November compared to January, yeah. uh, de- that, late December. So I think that's yeah. a, a huge factor because my brothers try to hunt out there late season. Mm-hmm. 
It's tough. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like where I where I shot both of my bucks. That particular spot, you could see at the absolute furthest, maybe seventy five yards. Mm-hmm. And this is like a rut funnel, so it's not. It's an area where deer are gonna just transition through, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not like spending time there, like mm-hmm. you know they when they're and you could tell when they're coming through, they're they're coming through. They're not stopping and feeding or doing anything like that. They're just trying to get from point A to point B. But you could see like seventy five yards through there. But that spot's probably another area where the the leaf drop really happens. You get a couple hard frosts come through, probably by Thanksgiving, and you could probably see a lot further mm-hmm. through that area. And those deer probably do not like to walk across that. No, no. I, again, I, I just I think it's there's a huge difference between hunting that you know October November time frame, especially like in like from. I, like I, I haven't hunted Kentucky. Maybe we'll hunt Kentucky next year or something like that. But like when you start getting some of these states, uh, like my experience in like, Arkansas, for example, like mid November, even late November, it's still like there's a decent amount of cover. Yeah. Um. But God, dude, like on that hunt we just did. I mean, there was guys that killed deer. Like not, not guys that we personally knew, but like Miles knew some of the guys, some guys that killed some bucks. Uh, and I heard from some other guys that killed some bucks on that hunt. And, um, uh, never pressed to ask questions of like situation of like, you know, how, how an area kind of laid out when it came to habitat. But, um, yeah, it's, it's different, man. It's real different, super different. Yeah. So, um, it's, it, it could be very, very rewarding, but also you could like be sitting in a spot that looks good and just don't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a couple areas that we'd found that I wish we, maybe you would have put more time into, um, just, you know, some like different like peninsulas and different like cover types were like, you know, you could tell there's deer out there and they're kind of working their way back. Um, it's just like uh, another thing about river bombs. I think we all kind of figured out is like, even in a river bomb, man, that winds likes to just drift different directions. Like you really need like a pretty good front coming through where you get like a very distinct wind, yeah. um, to keep it from like eddying. Because like when you start talking about like mixed habitat edges where you have like, big timber next to like um like sapling thickets that's only like eight ten foot tall uh next to like grassy areas next to ag next to all this kind of stuff the wind the way that wind works coming through those areas is kind of like bouncing off a bunch of different things and it'll start swirling in different spots yeah and uh shane talked about this on the episode uh, from last week where like those areas can be like very productive for finding bucks because they want to check those areas those wind swirls but it's like hard to hunt them, especially bow hunting them, because you gotta get right there in amongst them. And like while you're in there and they're probably checking that area, your wind's swirling too. And it's just, man, it's it's tough. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, definitely. It could be super tough. Uh um, all right, you wanna get some yep, Q and A? Let's get some Q and A's. So appreciate everybody's been submitting Q and A's. Again, you can go down to the show notes below on this audio feed podcast or on YouTube and um submit your q and a's there's a link down there you can submit your q and a's and we'll try to answer those in some of these episodes so uh we were talking about trying to do a few more of these full length q and a question um uh episodes just because some of you guys have been writing it's been really kind of awesome getting some of the feedback and uh and it's been really interesting where some of you guys have actually been implementing some of the things that's being discussed on the q and a's and actually going out there and killing really nice deer yeah all right this is uh first one up this is from matt cockrell from alabama he said, I really appreciate that y'all never name the public land you are hunting. You even keep the SOA names quiet. Can y'all discuss how you balance talking about public land deer hunting but being careful about hot spotting a place? 
I hate to see YouTubers being lazy with their videos, showing landmarks, and even flat out naming the piece of public they are hunting. Several years ago, I didn't know any better and posted some pics uh, and stories from some public land success I had. I quickly learned that was a mistake. Man, this is a total rabbit hole right here. Uh, yeah, we're, we're like super careful about actually naming places. Uh, not only just for like the, I guess the selfish reason of we don't want to flood that area because it'll yeah. make it harder for us to hunt, but also out of respect for the other people that hunt there yeah. because there's nothing that sucks more. And we personally know people who this, this has happened to where some YouTubers come or, or some podcasters talk about an area and they name drop a place. And maybe, maybe it's a big giant national forest, mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter. Especially if it's a really big platform, you know, really big YouTube channel, really big podcast the the pressure that that can put on an area is actually like quite significant. Yeah. And so it's just a respect thing because now all of a sudden, let's say that let's say that me and you go to to an area that we don't normally hunt. Let's say we go out of state and, you know, we don't maybe we don't even name it, but maybe we just don't do our due diligence with hiding where we're at and mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to find out. Uh, enough people listen to the podcast that the locals there mm -hmm can get like super screwed over by that because all of a sudden you're going to get a bunch of non-resident pressure. Ask Shane Parker about this. You know, oh yeah. Where he turkey hunts. It happened to him a couple years ago. Uh, big YouTube channel came into town, hunted there, killed a bunch of turkeys and it got, and, and they, you know, this particular YouTube channel, they use, they do their due diligence. They try to not, uh, you know, name a place. They try to not, uh, give away like obvious answers, but they just didn't do a good enough job with this area, man. Yeah. And it got hammered. Well, didn't uh, didn't Wayne go up there? Someone went up there and said they counted twenty four, twenty seven different yeah. uh, out of state tags. Yeah, and, and I know three or four guys who have hunted this area for decades, mm -hmm. and and they've never seen an increase in non resident pressure like that. Yeah, and so you know. Uh, so clearly, a, that's where it came from. Yeah, I mean, right? all, all for it, I'm all for people like going out and you know doing that kind of thing. Like, if you want to go to a different state and come and go hunt, come to Alabama and experience a January rut. You know, if your season closes January first, by all means, do it. But it's like there's a fine line by like you know it'd be cool to have some of you guys come down and experience it, and then also there's a fine line between that and then also just like highlighting a specific piece of public and just yeah either knowing or maybe not thinking it would have the impact it could have. And the next thing you know, there's, you know, maybe it's just 500 people show up. Maybe it's 1500 people show up over a course of a season or something like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of looking out for those, the local guys to be a hundred percent honest. And especially like if we go out of state, like again, if we go someplace and we're like, man, this place sucks, you know, <laughs> even if it sucks, like we don't have success there. We're not going to name it just out of respect for those guys that are, you know, locals that are hunting it. Um, because you know, there's, there's no good to that. It, you know, also doing like scouting videos where you're like you're highlighting different pieces of public that maybe you don't personally hunt, but you know you're trying to do it for like examples of you know how you would hunt something. That's not great either because again you're showing in a video, you know a specific piece of public that kind of gets your attention. You might never step foot on it, but you know the couple thousand people that watch that video or tens of thousands of people that watch that video, maybe a super small fraction of a percent of people decide to go there, and then all the locals has been hunting it. You know they have to reap the reward of you know, a video that you made. 
Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from TrueLock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the TrueLock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the TrueLock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the TrueLock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Yeah, man. And it's kind of like, I like I can see both sides of it, both from, you know, because we, I mean, we are podcasters. This is what we do. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it might not seem like a big deal. Like to somebody like us where you're just getting into this and you're trying to grow your, your business or whatever, you're trying to do your thing. And it might not seem like a huge deal. Um, and you and you probably have absolutely zero ill intent. Mm-hmm. But it, you don't know the impact that has on people. So it's like, perp- especially naming a place or showing actual public land on a map is like immensely disrespectful. And and it, and it can be immensely damaging to that piece of public. It's like, dude, imagine, just imagine, we know someone who this happened to, mm-hmm. and uh, and he knows who he is. Um, I guess you, I guess you know the story better than me, but basically, a, a big channel was showing where he hunts on a map. I mean, straight. Not, up. No, it doesn't like those people don't know this guy. No, they don't know him. But but they were using it as an example map, and yeah. it was like right where he had killed a nice buck. Yeah. And, and he was like, he's sitting there watching it. He's like, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it's like hours upon hours away from where these guys are making, you know, where they lived at and made the video. They probably have no intention to ever go down there and hunt, but just because they were using it as an example, it freaked him out. Yeah. yeah I don't think he's, I don't know if he's seen, I can't remember if he told me if, if he's seen any increase of people at that parcel, 
but they were showing everything on, on X of like, oh, this is this looks real good. I'd hunt it like this and coming from this direction. You know, this hub looks real good. This edge looks real good. And it was all very close to where he had just shot a real big deer. Yeah, and you know, from the the guys who made that video, again, they probably had absolutely no ill intent, and they're probably, in fact, trying to help people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, in your head, it could be like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, three hundred thousand acre national forest. Like, what's the, you know, we'll just pick a random spot and go through that. Uh, but you know, the reality is, somebody hunts that. Yeah, somebody hunts every part of that national forest. If the, if there's anything I've figured out in the last couple of years or the last you know decade plus of hunting public, it's that you, there's not the spot no one else hunts. It yeah. doesn't exist. Somebody knows about it. Yeah, and and so you know you're you're like really kind of screwing that person over. And so yeah, you just got to be careful about that. And we even, I mean, truth be told, on this show we used to let it slide. You know, if a guest. Na accidentally name drop a place or, or they just didn't care and they'd name drop it and it was like a really big national force or something we would let that slide sometimes there's old episodes where that's still out there mm -hmm. and you know then we started talking to people like again the people that we mentioned who we know who have actually been affected by it and we're like okay even if it is like a gigantic national forest it's still not okay in my opinion mm -hmm. You know, especially if you have a platform, you know, and, and people argue about, you know, going and taking your picture in front of a WMA sign, <laughs> which is a very Alabama thing. I think a lot of people in Georgia do it, too. Yeah. And I also many people in Tennessee, people that definitely don't do it in Arkansas that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee, same way. But, like, um, I think that's kind of like a, a culture thing. But, like, yeah. I mean, that definitely, I'll be honest, I use that. If I'm social media scouting and, yeah. and trying to like learn about like you know I'm already interested in an area, but I'm like, let's well, see. I mean, let's be honest. You you see a guy sitting in front of the freaking sign of an area you've already been thinking about, and he's got a one forty. You're like, okay, yeah. And the thing is, and a lot of people talk about this as well. The you know like oh man, you don't you know you ain't gonna have any success hunting a dead deer. Hundred percent true. The thing that I look at that is, is it a consistent factor of like certain quality bucks come out certain areas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if that's the case, that's typically going to get a little bit more attention than just like if one, you know, if one real big deer gets killed in an area that's not known for big deer, people might flood the area and they might kill, you know, some smaller bucks, but they kind of realize very quickly there's not a lot of big deer running around. The pressure kind of dies back off, but those areas that are like consistently successful, you know, producing really big bucks in like different parts of the Southeast. You know, if they get put out there, you know, a lot of stuff can change. Like, I, I know somebody talked about this in the great state of Mississippi where, like, some stuff had happened back in, like, I don't know, 2018, 2019. And from that point on, it went downhill because it got flooded with pressure. A lot of guys were killing a lot of deer that probably wouldn't have been killed previously because people were trying to truly hunt for big deer, but it got real yeah. popular. And then now it's, like, hard to find some of those really big deer because it's just, like, so many deer potentially, from what I've heard from this individual – are getting killed that like it's not producing the kind of bucks they were producing 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's a, that's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation there, but what's another Q and a not to take up too much time with that. one. <laughs> yeah. That, that one's a little, a little spicy, right? Yeah. A little, a little controversial. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say like, look, if you're making YouTube videos, like just don't name the place. Yeah. Like don't use public land on the map. Like when we do an example map, we just use some, either a state park that is not huntable mm -hmm. or uh, some random private land just yeah. somewhere out there. You can do that. It's perfectly legal. Just use private land, you know? Because uh, it doesn't matter if you use, you know, some random private it, especially land. Especially if it's just an example map of how an area, yeah, you know, somewhat sets up. Yeah, I'm not saying go hunt random privately <laughs> no no but just like using it in like example maps yeah all right question number two 
This is from uh, Hoyt R. Uh, from Alabama. Uh, hey, guys, love the show. Thanks for all of the great content. How would you tell where a buck was betting if you were getting him on a scrape around 12 to 1 a.m., assuming you can't put out additional cameras to track him? Uh, the cam is on video, and I can see his direction of entry and exit, but just unsure if he'd be heading to feed or back to bed at that middle-of-the-night hour. I'm in West Central Alabama, Bottomland and Pine Plantation. There's ample bedding cover in every direction and a couple bi-directional rub lines heading in different directions. I'd be curious if Shane has any input in this uh, after his trail cam study. Hopefully this doesn't get y'all talking too much about moon phase slash position. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you, if the moon is three quarters, duh, duh, duh. What, what are your thoughts on this? Good luck, man. I mean, if he's showing up mid mid like midnight to one a.m., there's no telling where that deer's bedded. I mean, the second he said that, I'm like, you know, it'd be one thing if it was within an hour or two of dark and like an hour or two of daylight. You know, in the morning, I think you could maybe start circling stuff within like 400 yards of there that maybe would like catch your attention. But if he's coming through, you know, six hours after dark, seven hours after dark, and you know, roughly that long before daylight. I mean, dude, that deer could be coming from a long ways away, potentially. Yeah. Or maybe not. You, I mean, you, you don't know. But, like, when we've looked at, again, going back to that episode uh, f uh, 540 with the Mississippi State University uh, deer movement study, buck movement study, you know, a lot of those bucks, their home range, especially, like, during the rut, I mean, it, it kind of depended on whether or not they were, like, a uh, more transient buck or more, like, homebody buck. They're not huge areas, but it's still, like, four, five, six, eight hundred acres, something like that. So it's like, you know, you might get him in, in, on camera in one area, but he might be spending most of his time during daylight hours 200 yards from there, or it might be an area, you know, 800 to 1,000 yards or further away. So, yeah. I, I mean, that that's super tough. And to me, it also depends on, like, you know, are you hunting private land that's really, you know, small little chunks of private, or you hunt, or public, or are you hunting, like, a bigger piece of private land? You know, it all kind of, like, there, there's so many factors there that I think that's like a, a hard situation to try to narrow down a buck that's coming through that late at night. I mean, yeah. it tells you he's there, but like that doesn't give me any confidence that like he's killable anywhere in that general location. I think you're going to have to, if you can't put cameras out, then you're going to have to start covering ground. I mean, within, I say outside of four to 500 yards of that spot. And just see, you know, are you finding any big sign? Are you cutting any big tracks? You know, is he like an upper echelon body and like antler-sized deer? Like that might be leaving a little bit bigger sign, bigger tracks, bigger rubs, stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, just trying to find sign that might tell you that a deer of his caliber may be using a different portion of that property. Yeah, uh, I'm going to make some assumptions based on like just the information that we have here, assuming you can't put out additional cams to backtrack him, that either means you're out of property or you're out of cameras, right? Yeah. I would like it, like if you're if you're out of cameras, like if you only got a couple cameras and you're getting him on that scrape, I would I would leave the camera on the scrape personally because that annual data of okay, let's say he's showing up at one a.m. And then, bam! One day he's there at seven o'clock in the morning, which we've had quite a few. Books. We've we've had I've had that happen a lot on yeah. scrapes. Like if you're on the right community scrape, so I would leave the camera there for that reason. And uh, man, whether or not he's going to to feed or bedding is is kind of a crapshoot. But the I think the silver lining uh, to this would be 
the, there is a reason that he's coming through there, especially if you're getting kind of closer to the rut. Like in my opinion, I think they kind of come through and they're checking does, or they're just kind of they're just kind of cruising through the area, seeing what's going on, leading up to the rut. So, I, I still take it as a good sign that he's he's kind of coming through there. So you know maybe you're getting him a couple weeks before peak rut, and he's coming through you know at one o'clock in the morning because we have had guests. I can't I can't remember right off the top of my head, but we have had guests where they have said, "Hey, if you get this buck." like three times on that camera, it doesn't matter if he's there at one o'clock in the morning. Like at some point he's going to daylight there at some point, uh, or just in the general area. Like he's coming through for a reason. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time before he screws up, especially during the rut. Uh, so I, I mean, I take it as a good sign that you got him on camera. Um, as far as like trying to backtrack him, I don't know. Like I, I just don't know what your situation well, is, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, and also a factor I think with this because I would go back to like this gigantic six point that we get on camera like for a good portion of December, and then he disappeared. He might get shot, or he might just you know moved off. Um, but well, he, he wasn't there at first. You know, we put that camera out, and he didn't really show up. I think we might have got one picture of him. I'm putting my feet up. Sorry. Yeah. I'm making sound. Uh, I think we might have got one picture of him. Uh, and I think it was a middle of the night picture. I think it was like 11 p.m. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, man, I'll tell you what, <laughs> a doe must have come in heat. And then all of a sudden, for two weeks, if you had hunted in there for a couple of days in a row for over this two week period, you'd have you'd have got a crack at that Joker. Yeah. I mean, he was all over those cameras during daylight. Yeah. So um, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you have, if you're getting a bunch of does on camera, or like does every now and then coming on camera, like Andrew's saying, like you're saying, maybe leave that camera there and see how it plays out. But, uh, again, w- whether he's going to go bed, feed, he's probably just cruising. I mean, he's probably going to f- – he's going to browse at some point, but he's probably just cruising through there, just checking a bunch of different areas right now, especially if you're kind of coming into your rut in that area of the state, which right now, by the time we're recording this podcast, is probably getting really good where you're at. Um, so, I would, I mean, I would just keep tabs, like Andrew, like what you're saying. I would just keep tabs on that spot and see if anything else changes. And maybe some other bucks show up and start showing up during daylight. But, like, also take into a factor, are you in wide open woods that would really kind of dictate maybe more nighttime movement? Or is there some kind of, you know, cover type in that area or around that area that deer could be using as well? And, you know, maybe he's sit checking that scrape from, you know, 60 to 100 yards downwind, uh, maybe in a little bit more of a cover edge. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different factors there, but, you know, th- there's no telling if he's going to back to bed right then or going to feed. He's probably going to be covering some more ground, checking some more scrapes, maybe running some rubs, checking on some doe groups, browsing a little bit before he decides to go back to bed, wherever, how far that is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, a lot of people have different opinions on this, but from just me personally, if I've got, like, a really nice buck and he's showing up at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm still fired up because yeah. I because I know there's a chance. You know, like, he is coming through there for a reason, especially if it wasn't just one picture you got one time. If you've got him on there several times, like, I, I'm feeling actually really, really good about that situation because at some point, like, why is he coming through there? You know, it's probably not for if he's talking about it's a bottomland and pine plantation. He's probably not coming through there for a food source. You know, mm-hmm. he's probably checking does or something, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as the rut draws closer and, and you kind of learn your does and, and learn when they come into heat in that area. For for instance, you where you're talking about having that big giant six point on camera. Yeah. So right now it is January 14th. 
Uh, over the last week, there has been bucks being killed out there by the scores in that general area. Mm -hmm. People have been killing. I texted one of our buddies that lives up there. I was like, hey, what, what are y'all seeing right now? He sends me a couple pictures of hammers that are getting killed right now. And everyone's saying, like, the rut is from Christmas to, like, right now. Like, I, we're probably on the tail end of it over there. But in this particular spot, in this one drainage that we hunt, that early December time frame, there are some does that live in there. And we got two years in a row now. And so now I'm positive this is the case. Yep. That there's there's must be a couple does that live in that drainage that come into heat significantly earlier than everything else. And those bucks, man, get sucked into that area. And that's when that big giant six point started showing up. And, you know, when we killed our bucks out there last year, mm -hmm. everyone you know, who was local, who we talked to about hunting in there, who kind of knew where we were hunting. And we told them what we saw. They're like, wow, like, like you saw chasing deer win? Like, you know, you saw does getting chased win? Mm -hmm. Because it was so early compared to their normal rut, but we were, we were learning those does. Yeah. So, you know, if you could get in a similar situation to that, that, I mean, that's been really good to us. But even, even, you know, not even necessarily trying to find early does, but just learning the does, like, that's why I'm saying leave the camera on the scrape because if you're getting him at one o'clock in the morning and then all of a sudden he starts showing up during daylight or really close to daylight a couple days in a row or you get like one or two weeks of just action on that camera, you got a bunch of different bucks showing up or you got does working the scrape, that's what you pay attention to right there. In, in my opinion, again, especially if I got does working the scrape. The other day I put a camera out on another piece of public that I've actually never ran cameras on, had a doe work the scrape, and then over the next two or three days, I had an eight point, a 10 point and another like clear shooter buck that I can't really tell exactly what he is, but he's an obvious shooter. They, they all showed up within two days after the doe works the scrape. And that's something that Shane Parker has talked about. He's if, if you got a doe, like working a licking branch, working a scrape really hard, like pay attention yeah, because you know, that that's telling you something. Yeah. And if you have one doing that, you might, especially if you're running a cell camera and you get, you know, instant notification on that, might want to plan to go in the next couple of days and hunt. All right. A texted Shane I, uh, to, to get an answer on this because I, I, I figured hopefully he would Shane get back Parker. to us. Shane Parker. Uh, I, I sent him a screenshot and I said, what are your thoughts on this? He said, I actually had a buck this year doing the exact same thing, showing up every other night at 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., I had a bunch of cameras out around this area and pulled half of them this week. He ended up being on daylight a lot right outside of where I thought he was probably betting at. It wasn't more than 300 yards away from where he was showing up in the middle of the night. I thought he was coming in from a long way off, but the more I think about it, he was just watching that area he was coming to at midnight and wasn't far away at all. Really eye-opening. I think it's a spot they visit in the middle of the night on a schedule. They're not far away. Okay, so that's like awesome. That's yeah. really good to hear. You know, Shane that Shane talked about that. So basically what Shane is saying there is he had the same situation, but the deer was not that far away. Again, hunting an area that is classic Alabama, pine plantations, you know, thick stuff. The deer is actually not that far away. He's got ample food, ample cover in every direction. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to consider is if you got ample food and ample cover in every direction, why do they have to range three and a half miles? You know, they really don't have to. So just because you're getting them at midnight doesn't mean he's living in that, you know, 
it doesn't mean that he's living in a completely separate area. Yeah. So, uh, so thanks, Shane. Appreciate you get back to me quick on that one. Because <laughs> when I read that question, I was like, "Crap, I forgot to text Shane about that." Did you just text him? That? I literally just texted him. Nice. At, at eight, he read it at eight forty-two. It's eight fifty right now. Nice. So pretty legit. Appreciate it, Shane. Uh, all right. This is from uh, Darian. Oh, I, I forgot to mention. Oh, with a name like Hoyt. His, hey. his dad must have won that battle naming him and must be a pretty big <laughs> bow hunter. Just had to mention that. All right. Uh, Darian Moss from upstate South Carolina. He said, uh, recently I've lost access to the 120 acres of private that I've grown up hunting. Therefore, I'm looking to start hunting the local WMAs, National Forest, and uh, some other land around me. Uh, this is a new ball game to me, so my question is, how do I need to go about this process? I pull up Onyx maps, and the amount of land is a little overwhelming, so what advice, if any, could you give uh, to an experienced private land hunter but an inexperienced high-pressure public land hunter? Jacob was just clapping. He was excited. What you got? Uh, I'm going to look up the episode for him. So, okay, while you're looking up that episode, I'll just say um, it's like it's like eating an elephant, man. One bite at a time. Uh, when you, if you got like a large, let, let's say you have a large national forest next to you, uh, you uh, like you got to tackle it in a way where you take it in bite-sized chunks. So you're not looking at a hundred thousand acres; you're looking at a hundred acres. You know, you you narrow it down. Uh, a past guest of ours, Wes Moe, talks a lot about that. That's his whole thing: is mm-hmm. he take and he hunts big giant pieces of public like yeah. this and he takes them and he narrows them down into smaller areas and it's bite-sized chunks and he learns that area really good now how do you pick the area you know how do you take that uh hundred thousand acres and narrow it down to a hundred acres um and i think the advice probably that you would give too is look for an area with a lot of diversity so habitat diversity you're looking for multiple habitat types you got pines hardwoods cut over whatever it is it really actually doesn't matter that much what the habitat type is, just that there's a bunch of different habitat types coming together in one general area that's going to hold a lot more deer than anything else. So take that and and there's your starting point and start fanning out from there. And, you know, you don't have to learn the whole property. You just have to learn the right part of the property. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the episode that Wes Moe actually talks about this very specific topic is episode 146 uh, from back in January of 2020. And it's killing pressured whitetails with West Moe. And he talks specifically about this um, in that episode where, you know, back when he first started hunting public. Now, he's been hunting a lot of these pieces, same pieces of public since like the 80s. So he like really knows these areas quite well. But he talks about, if I remember correctly, finding like a thousand acre section or 300 acre section. And just like just a square section and just learning it, walking a ton. This is well before any kind of digital maps. It was a paper map, making sure you're on public, and then just finding a section of that that you really want to learn and go walk it. Now with like sources like OnX, you, you can really do it even quicker, I think, because you can really look at the map and figure out where has like what has the best habitat edges, the best, you know, uh, habitat uh, diversity, but also maybe has some fairly decent access for you to get in there because there, there, there's a double-edged sword with that. It's like you can find some really good habitat diversity. It's like really hard to get into. It's really hard mm-hmm. to access. You're probably going to find some really good deer there, but 
the thing is, if you're kind of new to like the public land game and understanding like how hunting pressure affects these deer when you're been used to like maybe hunting a property that's been exclusively like only you hunting it, um, it can be kind of overwhelming because you find something that looks really good and you pull up on a Saturday morning and you're used to maybe getting to your farm at like 30 to 40 minutes before daylight and mm. you try to do that on public land and there's already seven trucks parked there, it, you know. And they already in the tree. Yeah, it, you know, so <laughs> that's a huge factor. So another factor going on to that, a factor I would say if you're getting into hunting public land, get there early, especially on a morning and afternoon hunt. Don't try to pull up two hours before dark and try to get into a spot because there's a decent chance, unless you're maybe hunting during the week, there's probably going to be somebody else there, especially if it's an area that looks pretty good on a map. Um, you're going to have company. Um, some states, I'll say this, like there's some places in public, in Alabama that I hunt that you'll only ever see one truck parked at a gate. And I think like each piece of public, it's got their own, they only have like, they have their own code of ethics. I feel like where you have like a, you know, say there's like a couple hundred guys, a couple hundred hunters that like really hunt a piece of public. It might just be like, because of how the culture is, if there's a truck already parked at a gate, nobody else is necessarily parking there and walking in. Okay. Versus you go to some other pieces of public and you'll see seven, eight, ten trucks parked at a gate. And it's just, it's completely different there. Like, I'm not saying the code of ethics are different, but it's like, typically if I see a guy parked at a gate, I don't know where he's at behind the gate. So I'm not going to necessarily try to walk in there on him. I'll just try to go find a different gate or uh, pull off on the side of the road where there's not someone parked at and go into a different area that maybe I'm familiar with or, or looks good on the map. But like when you're new starting out, that can be very overwhelming, especially if you're in a state where maybe like you go to a piece of public, there's only a couple access points where there's actually like parking areas and you get there and there's a bunch of other trucks there that can be kind of overwhelming for you. And that's where kind of going back and, and maybe not parking at specific uh, parking areas or gates and parking more off the side of the road can really play more of a factor for you because, you know, say there's a, at the end of a dead end road, that's like two miles long. There's a, a parking area and there's always trucks parked there. Well, go a mile down the road and then park. And then walk in. You'll probably have a lot less company there because for whatever reason, I feel like a lot of hunters are like this. I've been guilty of it too. Is your, all, your thought process is, oh man, I got to get to that access point, mm -hmm. okay? And walk in from that access point because maybe it's easier walking. Maybe there's a logging road you can walk down. Maybe there's a, you know, it's a gated road and it's an easy walk getting back into a spot and then you can jump off there and get in the woods. Well, if you can kind of get out of that habit and start parking in areas that's just right off the side of the road on that piece of public, again, where it's safe, you can get off, you know, easily. You're not parked in the road. You're parked off the shoulder of the road so people can still get by you um, and preferably have a four-wheel drive vehicle. So, you know, if it's wet, you don't get stuck there. Um, you can get away from a lot of those people. And also, a lot of times, you don't have to walk as far in the woods because the deer aren't necessarily used to having pressure coming from that direction. Yeah. So you might literally be able to walk in a couple hundred yards and find really good sun and find a really good spot that you could have success with versus going to a major parking area where some guys may be hunting close to the parking area. Some guys may be walking in a long ways and it's a little bit more unpredictable about where people are actually hunting at versus if you just get off the side of the road and maybe just go in a couple hundred yards and find some really good sign. Yeah, definitely. And also, when if you're trying to select the actual parcel, like you named a couple different uh, types of public land that he might be interested in hunting, it also comes down to what are the regulations for that piece of public land. So, uh, you know, are you are you a bow hunter? Are you only interested in bow hunting? Maybe you you kind of gravitate towards bow only areas then, because those are probably going to have better buck quality also. Uh, or maybe maybe you, you're a gun hunter like us. You know, like we kind of seek out gun hunting opportunities. Uh, so that's another thing to consider antler point restrictions, you know, 
it it just depends. Like, do you want to deal with antler point restrictions? Uh, like you're you're trying to target like a really big deer, so you're trying to seek those out, or are you just trying to go kill some deer, man? And you really don't want to deal with antler point restrictions. Mm-hmm. Both of those are totally fine, but go research those pieces of public, whether it's you know WMA National Forest or the other type of public that you named. Uh, you know, go look at those regulations, which one's going to offer like the best mix of what you want. And then go do the thing that we're talking about where you narrow that down into one area, look at your maps, maybe identify a couple different areas that meet that diversity criteria, jump in there, speed scout and find the best one. And, you know, it's, you know, January 14th right now at the time we're recording this. So, uh, this is actually a really good time of year to do that. Go in there and look at it. If your rut's already happened, then all of that sign is already there for you to see. You can walk in, you can go find the rubs, you can find the scrapes, you can find the trails, whatever else is out there. You know, you can go find the tracks this time of year and uh, and see where those deer are hanging out, and you're going to be able to use that information for next year. And even if you got cameras, you know, if you lost permission and, and now all of a sudden you've got a, a bunch of cameras you're not doing anything with, you can go ahead and put those out now and start figuring out who made it through the season or who's likely going to make it through the season you know, even if you've still got, like here in Alabama, if I'm hunting a, an area that's post-rut, mm-hmm. like our, our local place, if if I'm hunting an area that's post-rut and uh, I, I go run cameras out there and I get a picture of this deer like next week and I know that we've got a little bit of season left, but it's post-rut, I'm like, okay, he made it. Because like the chances of him getting killed this time of year out there are very slim. Mm-hmm. So you could go do that, and you can go ahead and have some target bucks potentially for next season, or at least have an area of like what, or, or an idea of what you're chasing. So, uh, so also keep all that in mind when you're choosing that piece of public. Uh, in pretty much every state we've ever hunted, all these different pieces of public are managed different, whether it's federal, state, or something else. So just make sure you're up on the regs, and you know pick the area that that is going to be the most conducive to like your style of hunting and, and what you like to do. Yep. So do you have anything else to add no, to that? No, super easy. Boots on the ground. It's the biggest thing. <laughs> Dang. Dude, I, I'm losing my voice. It's not good. You're losing your voice and you've been squirming this whole time, dude. I, I mean. I'm getting kind of sick or something. I don't know. All, the, all these cold January you're, days you're, getting you're, to you're, me, you're bro. You're getting soft. That's what you're doing. Um, <sighs> no, know. just, I mean, boots on the ground. You get, you got to walk a lot. Um, that's something I've been trying to do more so and just learn more areas. And uh, especially when you're starting out, and really, even when you've been doing it for a while, the more you can walk and learn areas, the better off you're going to be. You're going to find the better sign, better habitat areas that are maybe a little bit less pressure that bucks are kind of slipping into if you are trying to target, you know, say a mature buck. Um, all that factors comes, all that factor come down, or it all factors and comes down to boots on the ground uh, in those areas. You know, cameras can help a, gr- a lot, but like, you know, you still got to be able to walk those areas out and figure out like what's the best areas, what's the best sign best uh train features the whole nine yards and go in there and you know put boots on the ground and see how it looks uh and, and my goal this year i'm gonna try to do a lot more postseason scouting there's a couple parcels that i'm really interested in walking postseason and, and learning a lot better going in, so i have a better understanding going into next year um you know where are areas that had a lot of sign from this past season but also has a lot of good cover a lot of good train features the whole nine yards and that's something i'm going to really try keying on this oh, year oh yeah dude and hey it's january baby it's the time of new year's resolutions so if you're going to go out here imagine this okay imagine if you chose whatever piece of public you're wanting to hunt you're kind of narrowing it down and you and you set the goal of just an arbitrary goal that's going to like force you to go and and really do it say okay here's this thousand acres i'm interested in 
I before green up, so before like mid March, I'm gonna walk thirty miles in there. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cover thirty miles. I'm gonna use my Onyx tracker. I'm gonna turn it on every time I go, and I'm gonna add everything up, and I'm gonna get thirty miles. Can you imagine how well you would know that area if mm-hmm. you legitimately did that? Yep. That's a really good that you know maybe that's something that maybe maybe I'm gonna use that this year. You know I've never done that before. Maybe I'm gonna try it because uh, if you if you commit to that and you cover that much ground in there. Dude, that might be a cool little challenge we're doing on the podcast. That that could be with, dude, with like real. all the audience members. Like, hey, you know, at a certain date, season comes to wrapping up. Yeah, we do a little challenge, and then from a listener standpoint, now listen, you can't be using your tracker on Onyx in your truck now. Okay, <laughs> all right, bunch of cheaters. Yeah, but you know, maybe we do a little competition. Who, uh, you know, who racks up the most miles? You know, between you and me. Oh But yeah. also incorporate the uh, the audience members, and maybe we give we, something we away. We can do that. I mean, we can do that if you want to get smoked, son. I don't know, dude. I might have a little bit more time than you to do it. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. But also, you know, you're a damn mountain goat walk through the woods. Don't you know, <laughs> I, I ain't that speedy. So, but anyway, no, but uh, appreciate everybody leaving us the uh, Q and A's. Been awesome, kind of answering some of these. Again, you can submit yours down in the show notes below. There's a link down there. You can get them submitted. Uh, also, appreciate all the listener success stories coming in. Again, if you've been killing deer, implementing stuff you've heard about on the podcast, whether it's from us, from a podcast guest, whoever, write it in. Again, there's a link down in the show notes below for that as well, along with uh, on. On the, just the website. Again, you can go to the southernoutdoorsman.com and submit your listener success stories there. Still got a bunch to go through. Andrew's working, got to work on those posts because there's a bunch that came in. Some of yeah. you guys have been knocking down some hammers, especially in December and January. Um, but just absolutely appreciate everybody submitting those listener success stories. Um, again, don't forget our meetup event at Weaver's, Hartsville, Alabama, February 24th. It's a Saturday. Make sure you're there. It's going to be an absolutely great time. We had a couple hundred people show up last year during hunting season. It's going to be a lot bigger this year. We're going to have a lot more guests there. Going to do some different speaking, maybe some work on some seminars and stuff. It's a free event, family-friendly, so come on out. Bring some deer if you want to get scored. Um, and then also remember, Weavers is doing a big buck competition right now for the state of Alabama. So if you're an Alabama listener, you kill a nice buck in Alabama, you can enter to win. They're going to they're gonna have prizes for the top 10 uh, entries uh, for that. So, you know, you might uh, have what, a pretty Number one's like 1000 bucks. Yeah, number one's $1,000, guys. You get a cool G. A cool G. Cool <laughs> G. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be an awesome event. Super exciting excited for that and i'm excited to have buck mashers back out there for that event as well uh scoring those deer so just appreciate everybody watching the podcast appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and we're going to catch you guys back here on thursday's episode from the southern outdoorsman and you're going to hear some heartbreak from jacob myers okay so don't miss thursday's <laughs> jacob episode. done goof yeah so golly other than that guys y'all have a great week and remember y'all stay southern You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. 
year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.